Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and Safety Conversations. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne. And with me today are the stellar speakers, James Wood and Michael Weston. Gentlemen, how are you? Great, thank you. Great, Tom. Excellent. So, James, you're in Melbourne at the moment. Where are you, Michael? I'm in Perth, Western Australia. Fantastic, mate. The centre of the universe as we know it. 30 degrees yesterday. I know. Oh, I went outside. I was lounging around like a lizard. I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. All right, gentlemen. Well, I know it's about eight, it's eight degrees and raining here. So <laughs> That's what you get for being in the uh, the cultural capital of Australia, apparently. Yeah. Yes. All right. Now, I know a bit about you, and so do uh, quite a few other people. But for those who don't, can you tell us a little bit about your own stories? Obviously, one at a time, because that would be awkward if you started talking together. And just tell us about your working life and what's happened to you. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll kick it off, if you don't mind, Michael. I I come from a mining family. My old man was in mining his whole life. My grandfather worked in the coal mines in Scotland. I left school early and got into the industry as a diesel mechanic. Had got an apprenticeship at a little underground coal mine up in Gunnedah, New South Wales. I finished my apprenticeship. You know, life was pretty cruisy. You know, working in mining, work. Uh, we're a bit short-staffed this day, and I was given a, a a few jobs that I had to do. The first job was a truck had broken down on the site. The power steering belt had, had snapped on one of the trucks that we were using. So the boss said, look, would he go out and fix this truck? But then he said to me, he said, look, after you fix it, take it up to the parking bay so the operator can pick it up. 
Now, the, the thing about that, Tom, is I could actually see where I had to go. You know, mm. so I only had to move the truck a short distance. So I jumped up into the cabin. I had a look at the time. I noticed it was five to nine in the morning. Smoko was at nine o'clock. <laughs> so I thought, oh, beauty, if I can get back to the crib room by nine o'clock, I can catch up with my, my mates. I took off down the road in a bit of a hurry, you know, put my foot down, going a little bit too quick for the conditions. I lost control of the, the vehicle, ended up rolling it down the, the side of a hill on the, on the site. I, I got thrown out of the cabin and I, I broke my back, broke my back, damaged my spinal cord. Now, the reason that I believe I got thrown out of the truck that day is that I wasn't held in. The, the truck had seatbelts and I didn't, I didn't have a seatbelt on. Hmm. So basically, the, the choices that, that I made caused me to end up in a wheelchair for the, for the rest of my life. So, yeah, that's pretty much my little story. And just a, a little bit of, you know, how I came to be where I am today, Tom. About probably about four or five years after I got hurt, one of the boys that I used to work with, he made it up into a, a leadership role. He made it up to a, a, a supervisor's role. And he rang me up and he said, oh, Woody, he said, we're having this safety bullshit day. That was his exact words. <laughs> he said, Woody, we're having a safety bullshit day. I reckon you should come out and tell people what happened to you. And initially I told him to get stuffed. I said, there's no way I'm going to sit in front of a group of people and talk about my, my accident. But he kept, he kept nagging me. And one day he actually asked me, he said, look, if someone had turned up at our site and shared their story, is that the sort of thing that you would have listened to? And something just clicked. I thought, yeah, I would have liked to have heard it not from my managers or not from my safety people, but from someone that I could, I could relate to. Yep. So I went out and had a bit of a yarn at his, his safety day and it just sort of took off from there. Oh, excellent, excellent. Good. So that's my little story. Yeah. Over to you, Mike. Yeah, it's every time uh, you tell that the when you're in the vehicle and it's going over, rolling over, it gives me chills. So yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's like for you, mate. Yeah, a little bit about my story. I worked in mining for uh, approximately twenty years mm -hmm. uh, in Western Australia, throughout the both goldfields and the Pilbara region in WA. I was my last role I was doing, I was a superintendent for maintenance shuts. Mm -hmm. Really a stressful and demanding role. If you didn't allow yourself time to, you know, take time out for relaxation and that. So it really took a demand on me, I suppose a, a toll on me. So yeah, for me, I woke up one morning like I would for the past 20 years and I don't remember much of this. My wife tells me all about this story. And I was walking out the door one morning after kissing a goodbye at about 5am and I was found by my neighbour lying face down on my driveway. As he said, unresponsive, white to look at and cold to touch. Went through the CPR process, got me breathing again. An ambulance was called. I ended up in the, the Karatha Hospital wondering where I was, how I got there. And the biggest thing for me was I was going to be in all sorts of dramas when I get back to work. So I really wasn't present around where I should have been, was looking after myself. But unfortunately, I went through, I suppose, after being released from hospital, I, I got three weeks off work and I didn't actually get diagnosed to have an acquired brain injury until 12 months later. So... That's my story, and 
mental health jumped on board after that, which I'm happy to share later as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, James, just going back to you for a second. I know this sounds uh, strange and I, I hope I don't offend you in any way, but do you feel lucky because you're 50% more likely to yeah. die in, an, in, a, in a motor vehicle incident if you're not wearing a seatbelt? Yeah, go on. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, look, you know, it's it's funny, Tom. I, I hate the fact that I'm in a wheelchair. Mm. I, I get angry. I get frustrated. I get sad. You know, I get all the different emotions because of the fact that I, you know, I can't walk. I can't even stand up. You know, if mm. I were to sort of lift myself up on a couple of, you know, rails, as soon as I let go, I just fall flat on my backside. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I you can imagine I, I do get, you know, quite upset by it. Mm. But having said that, I've had 30 years of life that I might have missed out on. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do, you know, I'm sort of realistic that I'm still here, you know, and I've probably done some things that I might not have done if, if you know, I mean, I could have been killed that day. Yeah. My mum's my mum summed it up just recently. Here's a little story. I was up at mum's at Christmas time and I told her I had to go to this shop to pick up some parts for one of my old cars. Anyhow, when I got there, there was a couple of steps out the front. And I said to my mum, I said, oh, mum, you know, you reckon by now they'd have a ramp, you know, they'd have a ramp to let me get in. And my mum just looked at me. Mum's in her 80s. Mum mm. just said, get over it. And I'm going, what? She says, you've had 30 years that you could have missed out on. Mm. And I'm going, oh, okay, mum, settle down. <laughs> she, she also said to me, Tom, she says, oh, and you've saved me a hell of a lot of money. And I said, well, how does that work, mum? She says, well, do you know how expensive flowers are these days? She said, I could be... She said, I could be coming putting bunches of flowers on a big mound of dirt. And I've gone, all right. So, yeah, mum mum put it all back into perspective for me. You know, as much as I don't like the situation that I'm in, but you know, there's nothing I can do about it and I've just got to make the most of it. Yeah. I've spoken to a few gentlemen and they, the what people I have spoken to are gentlemen. So I won't go into, you know, gender neutral stuff because they were gentlemen who have had spinal cord injuries and found themselves in wheelchairs. And most of them tell me that shortly afterwards and for maybe a, a period of time afterwards, they were extremely angry people. Did that happen to you? Not not immediately. I Look, I think really early on, I've, I've got to give my old man some credit, Tom, because I initially I went down the blame path in that mm. I was trying to blame somebody else for yep. what happened to me. Yep. And, you know, I, I, I find that a lot. I find that whenever something bad happens to us, most people, the first thing they try and do is blame somebody else for us. Mm. For it. And I think what, they, what that does is that if you can blame somebody else, then you automatically feel better about what's happened to you. Mm. And that's what I was trying to do. You know, in hospital and going through the rehab process, I was saying to myself, well, my, my managers and my supervisors, they didn't train me well enough. You know, they didn't supervise me all the time to make sure I was making the right choices. But then I got I got pretty desperate and I actually started to blame my workmates, you know, the, the boys and the girls that I worked with every day because I'm thinking, well, no one ever said anything to me. You know, not, not once did someone see me climb into a truck or a light vehicle and say, hey, Woody, put your seatbelt on. So, you know, I, went, I was going down that blame path. And anyhow, one day when I was in hospital, my dad... My dad was sitting at the side of my hospital bed and I, 
I turned to my old man and he's, he's reading his newspaper and I'm, I'm just going, oh, well, Dad, they should have done this or they should have done that. And my old man looked at me and he said, look, he said, wake up yourself. I'm going, what? He says, answer this for me. He said, who got into the truck that day? I said, yeah, I did. He said, who took off down the road too fast? I'm going, yeah, what's, what's your point, Dad? And he said to me, he said, well, you made some wrong choices. Mm. He said, you're never going to achieve anything by blaming somebody else. He said, what you've got to do is accept the fact that you you stuffed up and get on with it. Yeah. And yeah. I've, got to, I've got to tell you, I hated him at the time. I thought, you mongrel, you've got no idea what I'm going through. But it was probably the best thing he could have said to me because it, you know, it planted that seed and 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 actually started me to think about the fact that I, you know, I stuffed up. The choices that I made caused me to get hurt. And then just going back to your question, I think as soon as I, you know, I I came to that understanding that it was my fault, you know, then I was able to sort of, well, go, okay, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. There seems a lot today where we basically don't want to be responsible for our own choices and no one's held accountable for their own decisions. But no, that's good to hear. For you, Michael, how how does how hard is it for you, Michael, that people can't see that your 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 injuries, that your injuries aren't <laughs> physical, so they just assume everything's perfect? Oh well. I actually get nervous inside just hearing that question because it is, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. You, as I went through a rehab program, two years worth and a full on rehab, and then a year after of self rehabilitation management, and I still do it every day, you know, if you feel like. So there's a lot of work that's gone into how I am today and still what I go through every day. So I found it really difficult from day dot, including my family and friends, for people to say, you might go out somewhere and they say, I tell you what, you're looking great and it's good to see you back to normal. Mm -hmm. But my life is just even having this conversation is there's mice in a little turnstile, if you like, and they're running 100 mile an hour trying to keep this brain working. And it's like the old telephone exchange where all the pegs are being put in the right holes to make that connection to the right person. And for me, it's getting words in the, out, you know, choosing the right word. So it gets very frustrating when someone says, oh, even if they do know you've got an acquired brain injury, they say, oh, it's it's good that you're back to normal again, you know, because it, and they mean well, yeah. but really frustrating because, like, it's hard being me, you know. Yeah. yeah. But you just, I take a deep breath and just learn to control my emotions. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing with acquired brain injuries, because I, I, I know someone who had one, or they've still got it, let's be honest. The brain is the the slowest part of the body that actually heals. So it just it it it's it's not like cutting your skin or anything like that. It, it takes an awful long time. And my experience with the person I know who got an acquired brain injury was, first of all, when you said about trying to get the words out, that's dead on the money. They lost the ability to put simple sentences together. 
and they'd be struggling, struggling to to get simple words out. And, you know, helpful male, helpful male comes in and basically trying to finish sentences. Yeah, not very helpful, apparently. But I Um, used to... Spot on there, spot on, Tom, where you said where people come in, step in and try and finish the sentence for you or try and find the words for you. So in the early days for me, my family, I'd be looking into, I suppose, the distance, like very vague and very non-present and trying to think of a word. So my family would be saying distribute, discriminate, and it's kind of like you just need to stop because I need pop. It's almost like, you know, the the tip of your tongue type Mm. of feeling and you're just trying to, but I've learned now through my specialist is the, the, the hard rye, try and focus on that, the more detrimental it is to myself. So my psychologists now say it's just like a leaf on a river. You're never going to catch all the leaves on the river. Just let it float by and just, okay, don't worry about it. But the mixing of words in sentences as well is very much like a aphasia. It drives my family crazy, but I love it, you know. <laughs> it's because... <laughs> You know, I'm dealt this, it doesn't define me, but I've got to have some fun in life, you know, where I'm mixing the whole words in a sentence and the family's going, Dad, stop. (laughs) Did you you also find your memory was significantly affected? Oh, yeah, and still is. So long-term memory is there. Mm Mm-hmm. Short-term memory is my, my pain. So even things like if we were going out, tomorrow or today on the weekend i'll have my my wallet my my glasses my keys everything's in a in a space yeah. now if my wife donna picks up something and says i've put that in the car already for you i will look at that picture and that picture's wrong and even though my wife has told me that yeah. i still see that, that picture's wrong and i can't compute and what that actually does is for the next whole day sometimes, my whole day is an absolute mess. Yeah. Crazy. One of the, but, one uh, of the... Remembering, remembering things is very difficult, so I'm all about post-it notes, calendars. <laughs> I was just going to mention that, Michael. One of, the, one of the pictures that always makes me laugh is you standing beside a board with about a hundred post-it notes on it. And that's just your day mapped out is all these different post-it notes. Yeah. And look, they're my, my savior, but they don't stop you forgetting that the water's running or the stove's still on and things like that. So there's the Dane, the safety side of things as well. So a lot of strategies I have in place is really, I'm a very visual person nowadays. So everything's got to be in my face to say, Hey, you got to remember this. You got to remember that. Yeah. One one of the one of the things that I found was well, I don't know, scary in a way was I'd get phone calls from 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 this friend of mine, and it'd be absolute panic, absolute panic on the other side end of the phone. They couldn't remember how to get home. They couldn't work out how to get from work, the route they've been driving for years and years and years back to their home and it'd be like can you come and help can you i don't know where i am absolute panic is that something similar to what you 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 face 
I don't have that now, but in my work environment, because I went 12 months without a diagnosis, so I thought that life was, I was just going crazy because mm. I was having memory issues and things like that. So I'd be, from a safety perspective, I was getting lost in plant, in a live plant. Mm. Uh, I was supposed to go to one plant on an end up in the other, and I'm thinking, I don't even remember coming this way, and what am I doing here anyway? So I definitely had that in the early days, which is one of the reasons why I had to leave the business after a couple of years and just focus on me and get better. Yeah. And rebuild those neuro pathways. Yeah, exactly. All right. For both of you, a lot of the time when injuries happen, we always think about the individual who suffered the injury and that's fair enough, but we don't tend to consider how the injury impacts on the person's family. So how did your injuries impact on your people around you? Yeah, look, I think in a lot of ways, Tom, the, some of the people around me were impacted more than I was. And mm. I know that that might sound strange because, you know, I was the one that was having the medical treatment in hospital and then going through the, the rehab process and trying to, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm trying to get back on track, trying to rebuild my my life. Whereas, you know, my mum and dad and, you know, other people that were close to me, they were just sitting at home worried sick about how I was going to cope being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So, you know, and that's that's why I think when I do go out and share my story at a at a, a site, I spend a fair bit of time not just talking about how I was impacted, but how, you know, how other people are affected when someone gets hurt. I mean, one of the examples that I use, Tom, is my girlfriend or my partner at the time. She she was pretty good. You know, she came to visit me just about every day while I was in hospital. Towards the end of my hospital stay, I was in hospital for three months. Towards the end of my hospital stay, she came to visit me one day. And, you know, she looked pretty upset when she walked into the room. She came down and sat next to me and she straight away said, look, I need to speak to you about something. And she, she told me, she said, look, I don't think that I'm going to be able to cope if you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Mm. You know, and the whole point there is the accident affected me, but it affected my, my girlfriend as well. Some mm. of the things that we used to be able to do together and we talked about doing in the future, I just, I just can't do. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of other people impacted when, when someone gets hurt. Yeah. Did it, did it mean you had to basically redesign 
your home around the fact that you were going to be in a wheelchair? Yeah, well, look, I was I was pretty lucky because I I, I was only renting a flat. I was w- living in a flat with a, a workmate. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go back to that that property. There was about seven or eight steps out the front of it. Now, mum and dad, they thought they were doing the right thing. They they built, you know, that the, I was in hospital for three months and then full time rehab for another six months. So that that nine months that I was in hospital and rehab, my my mum and dad they built a whole new extension on the back of their house. You know, new bedroom, separate bathroom, nice little ramp for my wheelchair to get in now. But I'd I'd been away from home for you know for many years. The last thing I wanted to do was go home and live with my parents. Mm. So you know, and again, that's that's another way that that my me getting hurt affected mum and dad. I mean, no one paid for that. They had to go out and borrow more money to to build that extension on the back of their house. So yeah, I couldn't go back to where I was living, and I didn't want to go back and live with mum and dad. I, I ended up trying to find a, a place to live by myself. I thought, you know, if I could be as independent as possible, that was probably going to be the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. And Michael, how did how did your injury and your situation affect your family? Yeah, it was fairly significant because, well, a the my work colleagues were affected because it was a a reality check about how their lives were panning out and that could have been me, all the what-ifs. Mm-hmm. So it really affected them. My friends, it affected our friends because I wasn't the same as what I used to be. So we actually lost probably 50% of our friends. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, some people think, oh, that's terrible that people don't stick by you. But it's, you know, it's. I'm sure you agree, Woody, that if... Yeah. People are very upfront like your girlfriend was and said, you know, it must have been really hard to do that. If your friends come up to you and they're, they're basically upfront and say, I don't know how to cope with this, you know, you've got to accept that. So it affected our friends, but our friends around us these days are very tight-knit and very supportive. But my family in particular, yeah, affected my wife and my kids profoundly because, you know, my wife was my carer for three years. My kids saw me out the front of the driveway, so it's a significant event that they've been they've witnessed and um, thinking that dad's not here anymore. So, yeah, you know, mentally for my kids, it was it was very devastating. But there's a I suppose there's a light on the other side of that as well. That's a double edged sword where my kids also learnt by my mistakes of you know, look, not looking after myself where they actually, you know, my my upbringing was, you know, hard days work for hard days pay and treat the business that you work for like your own. Whereas my kids now, they don't want your mortgage, don't want your all your assets, don't want the pie in the sky stuff. What I want is to live, to enjoy life and have happiness. So... There is a bad side, you know, that it affects people around you, but there's also a good side where it's actually changed a lot of people's lives for the, for the best too. Yeah, yeah. At the detriment to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to ask you both a question, and this might make us a little bit uncomfortable, but I, I don't know. I feel like I should ask it. Do you ever feel a sense of guilt about how your injury has affected those around you? Yeah, look, I, I do, Tom. I, I 
I feel guilty for my dad. My dad died uh, about seven or eight years after I got hurt. And I I believe he actually felt guilty for me getting hurt. He, he, he told me this in hospital once. He said that he felt responsible for what had happened to me. Firstly, because he thought that I got into the industry because of him. You know, I got, I got my job because of him. And secondly, because he, he felt that he should have done more to try and protect me, try and keep me safe. So, you know, I just wish that, you know, my we never really had a conversation before my dad died that, you know, I could sort of reassure him or just try and convince him that it wasn't his fault. You know, it was it was my fault that caused me to get hurt. But I, I still think that he, you know, he probably felt a little bit guilty for what had happened to me. But, yeah, I, and I look at some of my, you know, some of the things that have happened since my injury and I often think to myself, you know, I wonder if that would have happened if I wasn't in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So there's that constant, you know, you know, and here's a here's a simple example for you. I can be going through my day and having a really, you know, a really great day, you know, getting some things done, having a good time. And then all it takes for me is is not to be able to reach something or not to be able to, you know, to get somewhere in my wheelchair. And straight away, my mentality goes back to, oh, shit, if only it hadn't have happened. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's something that you, you just, and as Michael will attest, it's something you've just got to live with and deal with for, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and for me... For me, there was definitely guilt because I was, I think if you go back to what James's message is always about choices, yeah? And my choice was to work myself to death, you know? It it wasn't the business, you know, it's there wasn't the business like driving you to death. We all have a tongue, you know? One person once said to me, if you, you bite your tongue long enough, you'll lose your voice. You know, I had a hand to put up to say I'm not coping, but I didn't. Yeah. So my choices were was the non-action of saying, hey, I'm not coping. And I collapsed out the front of my house, ended up with brain injury and went through mental health challenges. So that flow-on effect, that ripple effect, not only affected my work colleagues and friends, it significantly affected my, my family. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it... I suppose it took away a lot of my my the time the kids should have been being kids, mm-hmm. whereas they had to lift themselves up and become young adults very quickly. And importantly for my wife, who was the person trying to keep this unit together and focus on the person that's injured, you know, my wife was top 100 global inspirational women in mining working with the same company, had a career pathway all mapped for her. And I took that away from her because I didn't look after myself because she had to quit her job and became my carer for three years. So even those things, you know. So, yeah, definitely have guilt about my non-action of looking after myself and what was thought was to be financially looking after the finances of the family will look after the family, but it's not not the way the work life works, unfortunately. Yeah, speaking of, yeah, that's good. Speaking of finances, how did your injuries affect you financially? Mm-hmm. Oh, hugely. I mean, you know, as you 
aware, Tom, mining is a, a fairly, you know, well-rewarded career. So, you know, you're working, one minute you're working in mining, you know, you've got the ability to afford, you know, some of the things that you might not be able to afford if you if you weren't working in the industry. And then all of a sudden that tap gets turned off. And, yeah, it just it's just, yeah, it's just huge impact financially. I mean, look, I was lucky. I was very fortunate. I, I didn't have a, a great deal of debt. You know, I owned my car and my motorbikes. I didn't have a mortgage. And I also didn't have a family. I didn't have, you know, the, the cost of, you know, supporting other people. So I was, you know, I was pretty lucky. But, you know, to go from, you know, a reasonably comfortable position to all of a sudden just being on either a unemployment or compensation benefits, it's it's just, yeah, it's pretty pretty huge difference. Yeah, for me, financially, for us, financially, it hit really hard. And it's one thing that I share with people. Um, a lot of people won't share the finance side of things because it's embarrassing. It's, you know, look where I was and look where I am now. But I think for me personally, it's important to share that with you, with, with people, because at the end of the day, we're all working to earn a dollar and get ahead and set ourselves, our family up and ourselves up for retirement. Crazy, but that's what we do, you know. Mm -hmm. So for us, I was just like, Woody, you know, earning good money. And, you know, they say golden handcuffs, you know, around mining is, you know, you get trapped in. Yeah, you can get trapped in that cycle, but we didn't have all the toys and that, but we we spend our money wisely. You know, we had a family home in Perth. Uh, we also had a rental home, you know, um, but we also had a block of land for our future retirement in a place called Sharp Bay overlooking the ocean. So, you know, we didn't own them all, but we were slowly paying it off to reduce tax and all that. But if you don't, my message to people is if you don't care about yourself and you only care about money, start caring about yourself because money runs out. And, you know, when I left the business, you know, workers' comp and insurance only lasts so long and then it runs out. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to share with you, Tom, like and, and the people who are listening to this, and it's pretty embarrassing to share this sometimes, but... Donna and I, for the first time ever during my rehabilitation, once it finished, we had to walk into Centrelink. Mm. Do you guys have Centrelink over east? Yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah. Never asked for a dollar off the government in my life. So we had to swallow our pride, eat humble pie, and walk in there and say, you know, we're struggling. There's no money coming in anymore. Insurance is finished. We can't, we can't live. And they look at your your balance sheet, if you like, and say, yes, you're pretty well off. So mm. you sell everything or buy your family home. And once you're destitute, come back and see us. Yeah. So that was a real, I suppose, wake-up call as well to what things going to fail an incident, a safety incident or something in your life, a health impact can help hurt you because we, we did, we had to sell everything. But you know what? We're people that are better off for it these days. We 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 have less, but we're happier. Yeah, yeah. Can I just can I just jump in there too, Tom. One of the things that I've picked up on, you know, over the years since I started sharing my story and visiting workplaces, and Michael mentioned this, is the compo mentality. Mm. You know, I've actually I've actually 
sat in a in a, a crib room or a workshop and shared my story and just told people, you know, how my life changed because of what happened to me. And then I get people come up to me and say straight to my face, oh, yeah, Woody, but it's all right if you get hurt at work because you get compo. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that. You know, I, I really I get angry with the people that believe that if you get hurt while you're doing your job, just by giving you a couple of dollars, it's going to fix things yeah. or it's going to make things better. It, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you now I've never met a person who's come out ahead financially because of workers' compensation. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, heading towards the end. All right, you're well, both well-renowned speakers in safety. If you had to sum up, what was the message you'd like people to walk away from your presentations? What would it be? Oh, look, I'll go first on this one. Mine's all about choices, you know. I mean, we we all get training, you know, job training and safety training. You know, our workplaces are pretty well up to scratch these days. You know, we've come a long way since I got hurt, you know, 30 years ago. We've got some good systems and procedures in place. But I think some people are still making wrong choices. You know, they're not they're not using the training that they're given. They're not following the systems and procedures. And that's when you're more likely to get hurt. And, you know, and the, I guess the part of the reason that I do what I do and also Michael's probably back me up on this is because we know what it's like to to have a workplace incident. You know, we know what it's like to, to go through some of the things that I've been through over the last 30 years and Michael's been through. So you know, if we can if we can probably stop one person from going through some of the the things that we've had to deal with, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, my message is about choices as well, but it's mine's slightly different. It's about really actually being kind to yourself, knowing your limits, and really understanding what your core values are in life. Because if I knew my core values were health, happiness, and family. I wouldn't have driven myself into the ground as far as work, working hours and, you know, stress and things like that. So it's about actually understanding that you're human, be kind to yourself, understand what work-life balance is for yourself. Everyone's different. Speak up when you're not coping and really seek help, you know, go and speak to a GP to speak to anyone to actually, if you're not if you're not coping, especially in the mental health space, to actually reach out and get get help because, unfortunately, we're losing a, a lot of people to uh, suicide these days. Yeah, yeah. All right, getting close to wrapping it up. For speaking at workplaces or, or speak public speaking in general, are you guys only available in Australia? No, I've actually done some work overseas, Tom. Some of the Australian-based companies have got operations overseas and they've asked me to go and, you know, speak to their their operations. In, I've been to the UK, I've been to the States, I've been to Canada, North America. I did walk to New Zealand. We go across the ditch and, you know, speak to our, our brothers and sisters over in NZ. So, yeah, no, look, there's, there's really no limits, apart from, obviously, the language barriers, you know, it's... It's, it's all about stories. You know, we've all got stories. And if you can share a story and someone gets a, a little bit of information out of it, I think it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And, yeah, um, I'm the same, with, same as Woody. 
mainly virtual for global. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the pleasure of being flown in first class, probably like yourself, James. No, 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 no. (laughs) Safety speaking is not a high-paying gig, mate. All right, gentlemen, if, and I'm sure there will be, if people want to contact you to get them to come and visit their workplace or visit them virtually, how do they go about doing that? Well, I've got a website. I've got CMB Safe. You can see my banner in the background. Just Google CMB Safe or actually Woody. If you Google Woody, I've got a fairly high social media profile. I, I tend to whinge and complain about things that are not <laughs> James, not not James friendly. I, I do a lot of traveling. And Tom, I think you've seen some of my little videos where someone will offer a, a room, like a wheelchair friendly room. And when I get there, there's either a step out the front or yeah. there's a there's a glass shower case around the shower and I'm going, hang on, that's that's not a wheelchair-friendly room. Yeah. So I, do, I do tend to post some of these things on social media and have a bit of a laugh about it. Yep. But, yeah, yeah, Woody, type in Woody or see him be safe and same with Michael, type in. Actually, Michael works with, with Michael and I work together sometimes, so, you know, you can get to either of us through, you know, if you get onto Michael and you want to get onto me or vice versa. Good, good, good. All right, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this morning and thank you very much for giving up your time for me and and the listeners. I'm sure they've learned something. I know I have. But for now, it's time to go. But I do look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much again, gentlemen. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you have a story to tell about health and safety? Something that you've learned, experienced, or witnessed? Something that you think could help others? Health and Safety Conversations is a podcast that amplifies the voices of people from all walks of life sharing their stories and experiences about health and safety. We're now taking bookings for recordings for season four, which begins next year. Whether you're a worker, manager, safety professional, or someone who's been personally impacted by a health and safety incident, we want to hear from you. Your story can help to make a difference in someone else's life. To book a recording, visit our website or send us an email. We look forward to speaking with you soon. 